Okay, welcome to the United Podcast, the podcast of the Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney for your, I'd say, I don't know, Friday night pint, Larry. It's not at the pub, um, so obviously the old traditional pubcast, but I do have my beer here I'm going to crack open. But speak, everyone has been in sort of virtual pubs over the last year and sort of Zoom calls for their catch-up with friends. So we will call this a traditional pubcast on a Friday night. But Larry, more importantly, I actually was in the pub this morning to watch United beat Arsenal and what a Friday it has been. Talk to me. Yeah, fantastic game. Um, I really enjoyed it. And from a neutral perspective, it was very back and forth. It was open, a little too open for a Manchester United fan perspective. But Cristiano Ronaldo, man of the moment, seriously. I mean, without going into the game, he's a record breaker. 801 career goals. Phenomenal. I think that was a stat that actually came out. So I'll hit you with this one. If you had a 20-year professional career and scored 40 goals every season, you would finish on 800 goals. He's got more than that at 36. I saw that stat and I had to look at it and think I was getting – I was starting doing the maths. I'm thinking that can't be right. No one's scoring 20, 40 goals for 20 years. That's just physically impossible. That doesn't happen. That's what he has been doing. It's, there must have been a season where he scored 200 goals. It's, it's unbelievable when you sort of break that down and think what he's achieved. And I was in the pub this morning saying that most people don't play 800 games. Yeah. He scored 800 goals. Well, it's absolutely unbelievable, but um, maybe a bit of a longer podcast tonight. As we said, we'll treat it as a traditional podcast. I've cracked open a beer and a lot to discuss because such a dramatic game, um, a lot to dissect in regards to the game itself, but also what it means. But obviously, unlike our usual um, podcast luck, usually when we go live, um, there's no real news. Then when you hang up the call, news breaks. Ralph um, Rangi does like an early press conference, apparently, and he's up first thing in the morning, crack of dawn, and has done his press conference. And... I'm sure anyone who has watched it absolutely loved it. Um, he spoke very well, very knowledgeable, very passionate. Um, look, I, I like Solskjaer. He got a lot of criticism for his press conferences, but I don't think anyone will criticise Ralph for this one. I, I thought it was a fantastic one, and it went for bloody half an hour. So there is a lot to dissect. So we'll go through all Arsenal things in terms of team selections, the drama, 3 two, ones, which will be very sort of interesting and sort of positive to do. And we'll start, maybe because it's such a quick turnaround, we'll touch on the press conference slash at Crystal Palace sort of preview, but we will get into Ralph and everything Crystal Palace at the end of the podcast. I'll just go to some comments here. I'm good to see everyone in here on a Friday night. George saying, good evening, guys. Viva Ronaldo scores a brace against Arsenal to bring up 800 goals while the world's best player grinds out a new old draw at home to Nice. Yeah, a little bit less about the Ballon d'Or, the better. But yeah, Ronaldo absolutely proven why there he is the clear answer, in my opinion. Flynn, good to see you, mate. I'm picking both those fullbacks for the next two or three games, which will be yeah definitely part of the discussion. Rob, good evening, mate. I was on It's a Football Thing last night. Always a good, always a pleasure to be on with those guys. Hope you're doing well. And Wes, obviously, always appreciate the support, Wes. Larry, let's fly into it. Before we get into the positivity of Ralph, because I absolutely loved it. Um, I'm going to go back and watch that press conference. And a mad good mate of ours. Um, hope you're keeping well. Team selection, that's where we start the podcast and match reviews. Yeah. Interesting one. Do you want to start? Was Obviously, I was watching the match at the pub. The one Bissaka one, from memory, Carrick was talking about a potential injury there. I'm not quite sure, but obviously Diego Delo, which a lot of people have been clamouring for, comes in and did quite well. But just your thoughts on the initial team um, team selection when you did see it? No surprises, uh, to be honest. Look, you, you can think whatever you want of the McFred, uh, the McFred burger with extra cheese, but the reality is they're the most reliable midfielders we have at the club, um, you know, I like Donny van der Beek in terms of his technical ability, but do I trust him in, in the defensive position over those two players? I don't, to be honest. I trust Donny van der Beek in a game where if I know we're going to have 70% possession against the Norwich at home, that's where I'd trust the Donny van der Beek. So the reality is 
I don't think either of those players should be starting for United if we're going to be fighting for titles. But in saying that, it, based on what's at the club at the moment, you're trusting those players. What what, uh, what I want is your opinion on the fullbacks because I, I I have to admit my eyebrows were racing Diogo Delo in the side. I, I didn't. Hmm. I'm not aware of any one Basaka injury. So if there is one, please educate me. But yeah, I have to admit I, I was really concerned uh, prior to kickoff because you just you look at those two players, Tellez and Delo. Defense doesn't particularly come to mind, and then you think Harry Maguire's out of form. I had every right to be concerned. I think. Well, the fullbacks. Well, I think we'll stay on the fullbacks for now before we get into Harry Maguire. But George saying the fullbacks were good going forward, but still suspect defensively. I'm still expecting Edward and Zaha to run rings around them on Monday morning. And I think that's the balance, the issue you do face with these fullbacks. One Vasaka and Luke Shaw maybe a little bit more defensive minded than Tellez and Delo, but they don't offer the sort of the attacking output that Tellez and Delo do. So. I thought Tellez and Gallo both had good games. I know you all mentioned throughout the game that Tellez was giving you a few nightmares type thing. I thought he was okay. Obviously, some people criticise him for that second goal. That's a, that, that's a ball. That, that's a pass that happens. You quite often the defender does. Sorry, are you referring to Tellez? Yeah, the second goal. Like I know, I know he was tucked in on a, a long way. I understand that, but if that's Paul Scholes playing the ball out to the right wing or to the left wing, we're saying that's a normal pass. Like he has to no, be tucked in. It's it's one was... touch football. Even if he's in a good position, it's one-touch football. I take your point there, Tom, but the, the criticism I have of the Brazilian there is he, he's far too close to his centre-half. There has to be a communication between Maguire and Tellez to say, you know, if you're going to cover the half space, at least be within a reasonable distance so you can make up the ground. He was he was basically in mm -hmm. Harry Maguire's pocket. you know. As yeah, no, I, I understand the criticism with his positioning there, but in regards to their performance, Diogo Delo, who, look, we he here at the start of we here at the start of the season said, yeah, as a backup right back, let's give him a chance. And then he played, I think it was a preseason game. Then his second appearance was Villarreal. And we're thinking, oh, my God, what were we giving this guy a second chance for? So suddenly we want to get rid of him. Now he's come into this must-win game. And arguably, would you say, he'd be maybe close. He'd be in my 3-2-1s, definitely. Maybe even a shout for three. Well, obviously, Ronaldo's got the two goals. But he'd be with a shout as one of the best players on the pitch and arguably maybe his best performance in a red shirt, in my opinion. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, he, he was solid, Diego Delo. I think when you talk about him, if just from what I've seen of him over the last three years, which I have to admit, I didn't watch a whole heap of him at Milan. The thing that with Diogo Delo, one-on-one, on one, I'm not sure if that's his weak spot. I think it's he catch, he finds himself flat-footed, and I think that's where he gets beaten. So, sorry, let me correct my, my statement. So when he is one-on-one, on one, it's not that he's making poor defensive decisions. I think he's just getting so flat-footed that, He's being, he's getting the whatever winger is against him is being able to burn him. And I thought what he did today, though, he just got he got that jockeying position right. He, he was able to stay on his toes. So when the winger wanted to go or, or the fullback wanted to go, he was able to keep up. So credit to him. He, he did well. I think what Delo, and look, we did win this game. We're definitely going to get on to positives. I think we'll get all these perceived negatives out of the way. But I think what Delo had in his favor compared to Alex Tellez, I thought Martinelli was Arsenal's best player. They just had a good game on the right-hand side. They, Tommy Asu, I thought, did okay on the right-hand side, and especially Martinelli was their big threat. So Tellers had a lot of work to do. Diego Delo had it, I wouldn't say easy, but um, yeah, far easier night in terms of the way Arsenal did approach that side of the game. But obviously, we'll stick on... Actually, I wouldn't say this is a negative, but he's in that discussion. We'll throw him in there. Um, your mate Harry Maguire, who came back in, captain's armband, Michael Carrick's last game. Be interesting to see, the which we'll get into, um, the Crystal Palace game. But he did come straight back in, as expected. I'll pair him up with Lindelof in this discussion. Yes, we have conceded two goals. I thought they were good in terms of Arsenal were throwing a lot of balls in the box, and I thought they dealt with everything well. 
And um, look, this isn't say, okay, Maguire, he's back or he's a future. He should be captain this and that. I'm just talking about the 90 minutes that we saw. I thought the centre-backs did quite well. Yeah, they did. The second goal is actually an interesting one. I think Tellez is initially at fault. But you know what? It's actually Fred who loses his man. So I know, and we will talk about Fred. But if you actually look at the midfield, they they're the, like it was Fred who actually let Odegaard get beyond him in the box. So, you know, look, you concede goals as a team. The only time where I, you know, where you can directly blame a player for a goal is when it's clearly one on one, and then a shot comes from it. Systemically, I thought we were open, and we'll, we'll talk about Ralph Rangnick. So there was a, a statement he said in his press conference where he said. You know, United are needing to score three goals to win the game. It could have easily been 3-3 from a coach's perspective. That's where I need to bring more balance to the team. That really excites me. I'm, I'm, as, as soon as Crystal Palace, I think we'll see some level of improvement. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Well, yeah, we'll dissect his quotes and um, that press conference at the end and go through one or two sort of clues or hints that he has given looking forward. And you mentioned Fred there, and we will get into Fred because, my God, did he dominate that game in more, more ways than one. But before we get into Fred, obviously something that happened before that, or actually in the same instance, the De Gea goal. Where do you want to start on this one? This was fascinating viewing in terms of depending <laughs> how you look at it. You're an Arsenal fan or a United fan or you're a referee. It was unbelievable what happened, something you don't see too um, too often. Overall, I have no problem with the goal being given. Okay, In my opinion, it's a goal. I have the issue with the referee. The referee decided that he was going to blow the whistle. And the referee... the the Official line that came out, and this is coming from the referee's boss as well from Premier League TV, saying the reason it was a goal was because the whistle went after the ball was in the goal. That makes absolutely no sense. So if I foul you, Larry, and it's a clear foul, or sorry, you foul me and then you shoot and the ball goes in, but I'm, the referee hasn't blown in time, it's a goal because the ball's in the goal? No, it's when the decision is made. If the referee made that decision and dropped his whistle, is it not a, is a the decision doesn't stand because he doesn't have the whistle in his mouth. He made the decision to blow that whistle. It just didn't happen in time. I have no issue with the goal being given. De Gea should yeah. it was Fred who sort of so-called fouled him. De Gea was he should have been hard enough to stand up and get on with it. So no issues with the goal. I have the issue with the referee that that went to VAR. In my opinion, it shouldn't have gone to the VAR. Atkinson saw the refer- saw the goalkeeper on the ground and made a decision to stop the play. Um, it's a hard one. Just your your thoughts as it unfolded. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. I think you're being a bit hard on David there, though, because like if you, oh, he could have got up. He, he got up and ran to the referee. Yeah, he was no, fine. but Tom, you have to when you get studs to the boot. If he was a midfielder who got a, who got his foot stood on, I'd, I'd agree with you 100%. But when you're a goalkeeper, if you need a because your initial reaction is to hold your foot. If he's a goalkeeper holding his foot and he we can see a goal that way, I think that looks much worse for David. Whereas if he's on the floor, no one's blaming him for that goal. So actually, I agree 100% with what David did. Because if he was being distracted by the pain in his foot so much to the fact that he couldn't be in a position to save a goal, I think we'd all be sitting here saying, oh, David should have done better on, on, on that first goal, right? So he did the right thing there. I do agree with you, though, that you know if the player goes down anywhere else on the field, I think referee... It was Atkinson, right? You, you It would put his whistle in the mouth. So... No issue with it, to be honest. I think the game happened fairly quickly. I think the referee has every every right, if I'm being entirely honest, if I'm being impartial, to say play on. David De Gea, maybe you could argue, without knowing what was going on, you could have argued you could get up quicker. So, look, it's a goal. It's unfortunate, but I wouldn't yeah, be... We're just, so lucky it didn't, we're just so lucky it didn't cost us. 
Like if we're having a far different discussion about that incident, if we lose one nil and look, it would have been fantastic. If Bruno put that in the goal and Ramsdale was on the floor, we would have been loving it. That is football. This one comment here, which we are going to go into Fred, because obviously Fred played a huge part in that. And obviously it wasn't Fred's biggest fan at the time that he so-called sort of fouled David De Gea. It was typical Fred. But Mike, you're good to see you make um, so-and-so. And we know the man there. Goldbridge was cringeworthy, laying in him at Tom and, and Fred constantly, even if they, they played well, criticised De Gea for feigning injury. Um, he accuses you, accuses you of having a gender um, podcast so much better. Well, I appreciate the kind words on saying um, that we're better than Goldbridge. Appreciate that. But on Fred and McTominay, my God, I, I want to get into McTominay because, that, my God, he's generated some discussion as well in regards to his performance. I thought he was actually quite good. A lot of people thought it was almost his worst performance in a red shirt. So we'll dissect that. But Fred, where do you want to start on this first half? Because, my God, it goes down in the history books for me. I don't know if it was the worst performance we've ever seen or the greatest performance. He was involved in absolutely everything. From Man United's best stuff to Arsenal's best stuff to Man United's worst stuff, like it was, it was a weird performance. I wanted to, if he doesn't doesn't get that assist right before half time, I think he's going to get hooked. I think Michael Carrick takes him off. I thought he was absolutely woeful in that first half. However, then you look at the balance, the overall play. He's got the assist for the first goal. He's won the penalty, and he's ultimately ended up having a pretty good game. But my God, I can't get that first half out of my mind, Larry. Yeah. Fred is Fred, right? I mean, there is no other player on this earth who is capable of doing what that Brazilian does. He's he's absolutely ridiculous. In saying that, for all that I criticised Fred for, that assist was awesome, right? I, but I got to say, I thought it was poor defending from Arsenal. If I'm playing devil's advocate, I thought that defender was just sort of standing there. He didn't he didn't try to shut Fred down. He didn't try to pressure him to go onto his outside or sorry on his um outside foot so i'm like i feel overall arsenal didn't really contribute so we're sitting here at the end of the 90 minutes saying you know what and the balance of play fred's had a pretty good football game but i also think against a proper with all due respect to arsenal against a better football side i think we would have been here saying bloody hell fred should have come off much earlier so Brilliant assist. He does. He tracks the penalty, so you can't take that away from him. I think against a more quality side, we're sitting here saying, bloody hell, get Fred off the fields. Yeah, it was a weird one. I, look, I completely agree in terms of your views about Arsenal. To be fair, though, from watching Arsenal, look, we do give them banter and fully accept, and I'm behind all, everything banterish against Arsenal. I think they're actually decent. I think they do play a little bit of good football. I think they're well-structured. I think they probably do need, unfortunately, a little bit more credit than we do give them. But um, look, here they are. We've just beat them 3-2 at Old Trafford. So I will lay in them as will lay into them as much as anyone. Jamie um, from Ireland, good to see you. Um, obviously, good morning for you. Um, great to beat Arsenal, as always. Now, the other half of the McFred discussion, that was obviously the Fred, and I completely agree. <laughs> it, it's, it just was Fred. Good, bad, and indifferent. Uh, it's what, what it was. McTominay. I called it before the game that saying oh, I thought he was going to be our main main man, sort of that the one who stood out and sort of the most important player. In the first half, I thought he was. I thought, and the main reason being because I thought Fred was Arsenal's best player, and so it was almost like Fred was or McTominay was four against one in midfield. He was having to deal with Elneny, Odegaard, Partey, and Fred himself. So I thought sure. the don- the donkey work Fred, um, sorry McTominay had to do was unreal, and I thought he got through a hell of a shift. And a lot of people had alluding to his passing and what he does on the ball and how he slows us down and it's not Manchester United standard. I come back to it and the basics and people don't accept this. We, we want passing, we want goals, we want dribbling. At the end of the day, especially at the elite level, a lot of people don't realise you you have to win your battles. Uh, the reason Arsenal will get into the game is because they won the ball. They won the first balls, they won the second ball, so they're able to get on the ball and play. 
until you win that battle, you don't have the right to play. And McTominay was in there winning absolutely everything. And I thought he was fantastic. He absolutely bullied Thomas Partey, who all of us wanted to sign a couple of years ago for £60 million. And I thought McTominay absolutely bullied him type thing. And yes, in regards to getting on the ball like a Scholes or a carry, yes, McTominay doesn't offer that. But I thought the essence of a game, uh, the battle is just so important. People underestimate it. Well, we're playing a game on Sunday. The last thing I'll say to you, Larry, before we get it, go out there is first tackle, you have to win it. Don't worry about passing the ball. Don't worry about putting a ball in the top corner. Win your battles. And that's what McTominay does. And it's an underrated, I wouldn't say an underrated skill, but it's an underrated attribute for me. Because I went online after the game thinking, good win, good solid win, decent performance in midfield by him. And some of the abuse he was getting, I was like, oh, my God, I actually thought he was quite quite good. And um, yeah. just your thoughts on McTominay's performance, if you want to tie that into Fred and the McFred discussion as well. Yeah, I think with McTominay, it's an interesting one. It comes down to exactly what you said. What are you looking for from your midfielder? I think, unfortunately, for McTominay, you look at his predecessors in the midfield. Unfortunately, when you play for Manchester United in the six or in the eight, everyone's comparing you to Paul Scholes. Can you ping a ball 50 yards? Or are you Roy Keane? Can you dominate a midfield? Can you grab a game by the scruff of the neck and pull out a goal? And unfortunately for Scott or Fred or anyone else who will play in this midfield, Donny van der Beek, they'll always face that criticism. If you're not at that world-class level, if you're not Brian Robson, Roy Keane, Paul Scholes, you're not good enough. And I think what you're saying spot on. We have to look at what sort of player is Scott McTominay first and foremost and what is his role in the side. His role isn't to be creative. Now, you can have the opinion of, this United side should be having a progressive ball player in the middle of the park. And I don't disagree with you. And in an ideal situation, you'd have a complete midfielder. You'd have someone like a Michael Carrick where you can have you. And we'll talk about Michael Carrick. Of course, he's now left his post, but unfortunately there's not many Michael Carricks in world football at the moment, let alone at Manchester United. So McTominay's job, particularly over the last few weeks seems to be to be the deeper of the two midfielders to do the donkey work. And there seems to have been something within the coaching staff where they've said, we're going to turn Scott McTominay into a six. Now, I don't know if he has the capability on the ball to become a world-class number six, but if what you said is spot on. What he had to do defensively, particularly what he's got behind him in terms of um, Harry Maguire not being in form, Alex Tellers, I thought he did a belting job. And he, he, I think if you want to criticize Scott McTominay, I then put it this way. Take him out of the side, put Donny van der Beek in, in that team today. I guarantee you we lose the football game. Yeah, no, it's a trait that, especially in English football and you think United Arsenal and the battles over the over the sort of last couple of decades, it's such an important part of the senior football in terms of that physicality. On TV, quite looks, looks quite slow, but I think that's why sort of match-going fans have so much time for McTominay because they see how fast, they see how physical the game is at ground level. And he does get through a hell of a job. But just here, Flim, just before we move on, which I, as a huge fan of Scott McTominay, this is my criticism of him playing at six. He still hides when our centre-backs need a pass, which I completely agree. That That is a huge criticism I have on it. However, I would say, well, Larry's alluded to him sort of being developed as a six. I'd say don't play him as a six. I'd say play him far further forward in that sort of eight, not a 10, but to let him get forward. I don't think his game is to go and sit in um, midfield. Uh, just one comment here before we move on. Alex, as Keen has said, will never win a title with McFred starting. And look, I can understand that argument and, and deep down probably agree with it. But I don't understand. Well, here we are criticising Fred, but I don't understand the over-the-top criticism. They're doing a job. They're doing an important job. It's up to the transfer window and it's managers and the boardroom to get the transfer strategy right, to bring the right players in. Um, it's not Fred and McTominay's fault they're here. If we're, anyone's given the chance to play for Manchester United, they're going to take it. And Fred and McTominay, they give 100%. Whatever we question about their ability, they do give their all. But, Larry, we're talking about potential problems in our 
the team in terms of McFred, everyone thinks it's a problem and maybe may right. Apparently, the big problem is that Portuguese fella up front is a problem for Man United, apparently. Oh, he's awful, isn't he? How dare he score two goals? What's he doing? Seriously. Well, How what, have you, made of, what have you made? Look, we've kind of had the discussion in the past, mm. but it's kind of a, a moot point. We think, okay, it's a discussion, but it's not really. Look what he de- well, look what he ends up delivering every single week, pretty much. So just your thoughts on the sort of the narrative going into this game that he's, especially with the new manager and Ralph Rangi, he obviously spoke glowingly of him, but um, just your thoughts on the past week around Ronaldo and obviously um, the performance. Tell you what, there are 22 viewers in here. If you like Cristiano Ronaldo and if you're happy he's at Manchester United, then make sure you're subscribing to this video and you are well, subscribing to the channel. But you are liking this video because Cristiano Ronaldo today, Tom, showed you why he should be starting every week for me. He's a clutch player. And that's the ultimate compliment you can give him. The first half, I felt he didn't really have much to do. Second half, one opportunity, Marcus Rashford puts it into his path, he buries it. The thing with Ronaldo and this whole narrative that he doesn't press is so wrong. Marcus Rashford doesn't press. Marcus Rashford is one of the laziest players in the United squad. And you and I have equally said that, particularly when you're comparing him to Anthony Martial. But I think with Ronaldo, and what I'm really excited to see under Ralph Ranić's tutelage is how is he going to look to deploy Ronaldo? We know he likes to play this high press. But if you can actually think back to the second half, I, I don't recall which Arsenal player it was. But do you recall where Ronaldo actually got pulled back for the foul? But he actually pressed the Arsenal defender. Yeah, he, he took it off Gabriel. It was unlucky. Like, probably Gabriel. a foul, but he's unlucky. He, could, he could have been put through. Ronaldo does press at times. He's selective in when he presses, but I don't want my 36-year-old striker, nor my 28-year-old striker for that matter, pressing mindlessly for 90 minutes. I want my striker preserving his energy for when he needs it. So the thing about Ronaldo and the reason he scores clutch goals, Tom, the reason he scores match winners in the 80th to the 95th minute week after week is because he knows how to preserve his energy. He's not running around like a headless chicken all game because he knows how to know that when the 95th minute comes, he'll have the energy that the centre-back he's against won't have. And that's why he gets there. So he's a very intelligent, very intelli- uh, very uh, professional footballer. And I'm telling you, Ralph Rangnick will find a way to utilize Ronaldo, play to his strengths, without running him ragged off the pitch. And he is, like you said, he is the best player in the world. I- I'm, I'm not having it. You can talk about your Mbappes. Lewandowski's rightfully robbed of a Ballon d'Or. But when I talk about the best player in the world, the best I've ever seen, I'm talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. There's no debate for me. Well, one of the debate, and look, like I completely agree in terms of what he's delivering. Fascinating, and it's we had discussion during the week on it's a football thing with Rob talking about was it a mistake bringing him back? But I cast everyone's mind back to the day that he was a couple of hours away from joining Manchester City. Suddenly, he t- turns around and says he's joining Manchester United. That emotion, the reason we we're so excited was because we knew we were going to get moments like this in front of the Stratford end against Arsenal. We knew we were going to get these moments, so you have to celebrate them when they're here because. On that on that big moment, the penalty obviously scored a very good goal and one of the positives Marcus Rashford did do was a decent little cross in and a good finish by Cristiano Ronaldo. Fantastic. Thought it was going to be the winner. Great celebration. But then obviously gets the penalty. And we'll discuss it in the pub. As soon as it happened, we're thinking, okay, Ronaldo or Bruno? And obviously Bruno has missed our previous one this season. It still hasn't landed um, in the Stretford end. As Bruno just said, how do you think this dynamic has played out? Do you think this was decided after Aston Villa when Bruno missed that, that Ronaldo was going to take the next one? Or do you think Ronaldo after scoring 800 goals was feeling confident? Obviously, he's always confident. 
Do you think he <laughs> stepped up just in the moment that he was going to take this one? Just how do you think it played out? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, well, Bruno scored today, but we, we mentioned in the preview, <laughs> it was his first goal since Newcastle. So he hasn't been in goal-scoring touch, Bruno Fernandes. And if we're being honest, he hasn't really been in top form either. You can say what you want about Manchester United. Cristiano Ronaldo has been performing no matter what. Um, I, I think it was the right call. I do agree with you. I, I think it was after the miss against Aston Villa. It was almost written in the stars, wasn't it? The, the next one, you knew it was going to be Cristiano Ronaldo. And the thing I like about Ronaldo is he's, he isn't a confidence player. He's always confident. He can miss a penalty, line up to take another penalty two minutes later, and he'll back himself. I, I think it's the safe choice. And credit to Bruno Fernandes for being able to put his ego aside and letting Cristiano Ronaldo step up. But let me ask you this, Tom. Obviously, look, there will be a heap of discussion on Ralph Ranić. When you look at Ronaldo's performance, you look at what he brings to the side, you look at what he did today. Is there an argument that you, he, you see him with the armband come Sunday or in the coming weeks? Do, do you see that happening? Because I, I just think he's such a natural fit. And Harry Maguire would absolutely benefit from just being told to focus on his football. Look, I understand and agree with these arguments. I, I just don't think I, I put myself in the shoes of a new manager coming in into a dressing room like that. In my opinion, even if I, I agreed it was the right decision, I don't think that's something that will happen. I think he will keep it um, with Harry Maguire. People will disagree with that, and whether it's right or wrong, time will tell. I think he will keep um, Harry Maguire. I don't think it's a time to be coming in and throwing everything out and sort of saying, okay, this is the, the new way forward. I, I think it's sort of baby steps. If he comes in just swinging it around, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's going to work. It's obviously a very fragile dressing room at the moment, confidence-wise. Um, players sort of have relationships with players in terms of their friends with this group or friends with that group. I think Harry Maguire is obviously, people don't like it, but he's obviously an influential figure in the dressing room. He's highly respected. A lot of players do like, like from a personal level sort of thing. Maybe they have an opinion from his footballing point of view. But yeah, look, I would love to see Ronaldo as captain, especially given Harry Maguire's performances. I completely agree. However, I do think it's probably the right decision by the manager to just come in and just keep things steady at the moment, making a huge decision like that. I think, in my opinion, that there's more important decisions to be made in regards to where we're going to be playing, not who has a bit of fabric on their arm. Uh, Ronaldo's not going to change the way he plays. Now, it might change the way Maguire plays, which might be an important thing, but I think players around like little Bruno Fernandes with the captain's armband is still switching the ball to Chelsea players for fun sort of thing. So I understand the argument, but for me, it's, it's just, just let it go. I'll tell you what, if you could put some NOS on Harry, in Harry Maguire's boots, man, he'd be double the footballer, I'll tell you. Well, we'll get into, we'll talk about good footballers now and we'll get into three, two, ones because it'll be, this will be an interesting one. Um, I'm not sure where it will go in regards to, um, well, Ronaldo gets three points, does he? Make sure you get your comments um, in the live chat below. Let us know your three, two, ones. If you are new, um, obviously three points for your man of the match, two points for who you thought was the second best player and obviously one point for the third player. And it'll be interesting because I think this will be all over the shop because as I said, I think Diogo Delo, I think a lot of people might have him as three points. However, in my opinion, the way we do value the three points He's a match winner. He scored 801 bloody goals. It's Cristiano Ronaldo again. My three points, Cristiano Ronaldo. Like you said, two goals, clutch goals, and he gets the match winner. I think that's that's what's crucial here. And I can't tell you how many times we've said that this season. So forget this debate whether he's the problem or not. I think United got a 100 other problems before you start talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. Phenomenal player, Tom. He's just... I, you can't say enough praises. There's almost no words for him. He's he's just brilliant. I thought I thought he actually, obviously, he's here. We are saying, oh, the, oh, the best footballer in the world is good at football. 
obviously. But I actually think he did play quite well because we obviously we look at Ronaldo and we think, okay, the goals, he's just there to score goals. Who cares how he plays? But when he does play, he's look, he's not a fantastic link up player. Like you could argue Martial's better in that sort of vein, or even Edison Cavani. You can understand that. But he actually sort of does link up the play quite well. He gets involved, he gets on the ball. Um, sometimes you'd think a player like Ronaldo would be sort of busting his gut to get into the box to try and score a goal because that's what we envisage of Ronaldo. But sometimes he's sort of almost standing back, sort of saving his energy, and you're thinking, hang on, what's he doing back here, sort of thing. So. It's interesting, but I think he's playing very well. And yeah, in regards to has he been a sort of not, not a flop, but has he been a mistake? I think that's absolute nonsense. I think he's been absolutely brilliant for Man United and exactly what we paid for. Um, obviously, we are paying him a lot of money. So I think three points for Ronaldo is a shoe in. Now, two points, I'll throw to you first because I have no idea. I'm probably going Diogo Delo. Does that sound stupid or would you agree with me? Diogo Delo. Oh, I don't think it's outrageous that. All of the attack coming from Arsenal was down the left-hand side. What's the fullback's name for Arsenal, by the way? Left or right? Left-back. He's got a wicked cross um, on him. Yeah, Tavares, new signing, a good little player. Yeah, yeah, he's got a wicked cross on him. I just thought in the in the balance of the game, I think Diogo Delo was really good. But I think you're leaving out Jadon Sancho. I thought he was excellent. Um, and Yeah, yeah, I do. I really do. Yeah, I thought Jadon was really good. I thought he held his width well and... Well, he didn't really get an um, an assist or a goal. I thought he he kept it, he was dangerous. I thought every time he had the ball, he had the Arsenal defenders thinking. And I just I look at compared to what Marcus Rashford did in this game. I thought Sancho was the one keeping the defenders honest. Yes, it, look in the balance of the game, Tom. I agree with you. I think Diogo Delo for two points is probably a good shout. But I don't think Jaden Sancho. Sh- I don't think we should be having a conversation about three two ones without mentioning the Englishman. Mm-hmm. I thought. He just added something every time he had the ball. Just my opinion. Uh, well, I think, as I said, in re- regards to saying, Ronaldo has obviously played well when he's coming in. Sancho, those performances are improving every week. And um, he's obviously got these goals in his last couple of games and this performance is a continuation. And you assume, um, obviously coming from Germany, which I mentioned before, you assume he'll be a favourite of Ralph Rangnick and hopefully he can kick on. So it's fantastic to see because even he was labelled a flop at the start of the season. I was thinking, calm down. Even from United fans were saying he's over. I was thinking, calm down. You have to be patient. And um, but I'll be yeah, leaning to maybe Diego Delo because, as I said, I think it's his best performance in the United shirt, and that's something you have to celebrate and sort of give credit yeah. to him. It's obviously a big moment for him in a big game against Arsenal. It's probably his best performance. I'm going Diego Delo for two points. And yeah, in regards to the input, I thought the ball from Sancho for Fred's penalty was a smart ball because nothing was really yeah. on. He, he had to go back, and he thought, well, if I go back here, it's not quite on. So I'll try something here, and it was a very good run by Fred, and um, obviously very. Clever in regards to the way he won the penalty. And obviously, it was a clear penalty, but I'm very clever from both Sancho and Fred there. So I'll be uh, probably leading Diogo Delo for two points and Jaden Sancho for one. Um, but, but again, I've seen some comments here. So we'll go, um, Ryan, good to see you. I saw you mentioned the pub earlier. Um, obviously, Ryan from the Supporters Club. Hope you're keeping well. Um, yeah, it was good. We were at the pub this morning, 7 a.m. There's about 10 or 15 of us there. Um, really enjoyable. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you click on another comment, are we seriously not going to give Fred any points? He was, he put in a bloody shift today. He put in a hell of a shift. I just, remember that first half. Oh, I don't think I've seen anything worse than that. And obviously, he does balance it out at the end, so they're having a very good performance. But I can't – that was tattooed on my brain, that first half. He's fouled – not fouled the hair, but you know what I mean. He, yeah. he gave away a goal for us. He's kicking our goalkeeper on the floor. Some of his tackling I thought was atrocious in terms of if they had a good free kick taker, one of the free kicks could have gone in type thing. Some of, the, some of his passes were horrendous. And look, ultimately, what I do like about Fred is you look at McTominay, who I'm a huge fan of. 
does lack a little bit of confidence going for the ball. Fred can be putting his one out of 10 performance in, which he was doing in the first half, but still thinks he's Pele. I admire the confidence. I, do, I genuinely do admire it because it, oh, that's, that's a trait. You, we can laugh at it, but that's a positive trait to have. Maybe to his detriment at times, obviously, but yeah. something I admire, something I don't have. <laughs> Fair play to him. But there are some comments here. Um, a few more before we move on. Yeah, Flim saying Ronaldo, Delo, and Sancho. And Alex saying the same thing, Ronaldo, Sancho, and Delo. Um, just one more comment here before we move on to Carrick and Ralph um, Ryan here saying, anyone know what happened with Rashford in the game? Yeah, look, he looked... Um, sorry about that. I think he's replying there. Rashford, we don't want to go too far in. We want to stay, stick to the positives. Yeah. Weird one. It just looks off the pace. I, I think it was a Rashford, which I alluded to the last podcast we did. If there is one player, and who knows how it will play out, but if there is one player who might struggle tactically under Ralph Rangnick, I think it's Marcus Rashford. You talk about Alex Tellez tucking in too far on the left-hand side. I thought Marcus Rashford, when he was defending, he was standing next to Ronaldo, and it was, there was an out ball to Tavares every single time. And I just thought it was almost like watching Dan James play. He was just too, tucked far too in. Yes. That's why Tavares looked so dangerous, because Rashford was playing as a second striker, where in the balance of the team, which Ralph Rangnick alluded to balance in his press conference, there was no balance on that right-hand side defensively, which maybe is another tick in the box of how well Diego Delo did. Mate. Marcus Rashford's lazy. He, he really is. Like, And again, I know there are bigger accounts out there and th- there's people with really large platforms who will tell you Marcus Rashford is a grafter. He was a grafter for the first two seasons of his United career. He hasn't been a grafter since Oli's come in. I'll tell you that. Um, if you can actually recall to the first full season Oli was in charge, I recall you and I when we were just when we were a podcast, not you know on a, on a video platform debating Marcus Rashford's work rate, saying, you know, he almost looks like he's a, he's a big man. He's got the ego now. He doesn't believe he has to work hard. I'm seeing a lot of that in Marcus Rashford now. That's not to say he's not, he's not a gentleman or to take away from anything he's done off the pitch. But he's he's not at an age, nor has he achieved what, say, a Cristiano Ronaldo has achieved in the game, to earn the right to not run around on the pitch. Cristiano Ronaldo, at the same age as Marcus Rashford, had already returned a... Uh, you know, close to 30 goals for United in a season. So he's got a lot to do, Marcus. Um, and he will be one who does has to prove himself under Ralph Randick. I'll tell you what, Tom, I, I I know this won't be a popular opinion. I, You know I love Anthony Martial. If you're telling me which of those two players might actually benefit more under Ralph Randick, I actually think it will be the Frenchman because Ralph Randick loves a technical footballer. And you and I have said it before. You can say Marcus Rashford is a better player than Anthony Martial. But technically speaking, Martial's the better footballer. So it'll be interesting to see. I think it's a clean slate for everyone and who benefits and who doesn't benefit. There'll be a few surprises to come out of that. No, 100%. And in saying all that, which I completely agree, and I know deep down you're the same, I love Marcus Rashford. It's <laughs> just what, what yeah, we see yeah, in regards to his effort. Um, it's an interesting one. But George here, which I alluded to, does Greenwood come into the side? I, I think he does. I think um, Ralph will like Greenwood. And especially there is a definite pressure from the club. Um, to get the best out of Greenwood. So I think when he gets over his COVID, obviously he's on the bench, I think. So hopefully he's close to return. And just the last point on the 3 2 ones was a mad, in regards to Fred, I think he created two or three goals. Look, at the end of the day, probably is harsh, harsh on Fred. He obviously has had a huge impact on the game. I just think I was so scared in that first half. I just haven't recovered. Maybe if I was doing this 3 2 ones in a day or two, um, maybe I would give him a point. But um, there are a few people in the video, which is good to see, over 80 people, which is great. If you could leave a like on the video, that would be fantastic. And if you're new, obviously, subscribe. That would be great. Some level-headed Man United discussion here. And 
some level-headed discussion. We're going to wrap up the podcast in a managerial way here, Larry, in terms of start with Michael Carrick, then we'll go on to Ralph's press conference and quickly sort of preview the Crystal Palace match. Michael Carrick, when this news broke at the end of the game, first of all, did sort of obviously didn't leave with Solskjaer, but came in, did his job as a caretaker manager, fantastic. Yeah. Didn't let set the world on fire, but undefeated, goes down in the history books as Man United undefeated manager. Fantastic, absolutely loved him as a player. I met him over in Perth, lovely guy, fantastic. The dogs abuse he's got in the past two weeks, though, I think has been disgraceful, as sort of a lot of the managers we have sort of, sort of get. I fully understand that. However, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, everyone giving Carrick abuse or giving Solskjaer abuse, now when this news broke that he resigned, was saying, oh, well, 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 I wish him the best. I hope he does well. He, he steadied the ship. He, he came in and sort of did well, so I wish him all the best. It's time for Ralph to come in. And everyone's trying to take the moral high ground, saying how sort of what a gentleman and what a player Michael Carrick is. For the last two weeks, I was saying, get this guy out of my club. He should have been sacked with Solskjaer. And I'm just thinking, do, do you share my frustration with that? Or Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, I, I've said it to you a thousand... Mate, if you go through my timeline, I barely tweet anymore. I've truthfully taken myself away from Twitter because I just can't deal with the, toxi- the toxicity on there. The reality is, I agree, right? Carrick should have left with Solskjaer, but so should have Mike Phelan. So should have uh, Kieran McKenna. But like you said when we were previewing the Villarreal game, if they all left and we all know that this United board does not have a plan, a more organised side, look, let's call it, let's call a spade a spade. A more organised Manchester United board would have sacked Oli in the international break. It would have given them plenty of time to get a, a proper manager in and he can bring in his coaching stuff. I'm, I'm certain Ralph Rangnick is, 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 is... Am I right in saying he's bringing in one or two other coaches? He had his press conference. I'll, I'll just... I'll, I'll tie this into the Ralph. So if anyone hasn't watched Ralph Rangnick, obviously had a press conference just before he went live and it went for half an hour. It was very knowledgeable. I urge everyone to go back and watch it. It was a fascinating listen. And he sp- spoke about Carrick. He sp- spoke before the Chelsea match. He spoke to Solskjaer for about two hours on the phone, which is a general chat about the squad, etc. But he also did the same with Michael Carrick in person the other day. And what he was saying, he was saying that he wanted Michael Carrick to stay on. He's saying, can you stay on in my backroom staff? That is why he wants to keep Kieran McKenna and Mike Feeling because he needs that experience of knowing the squad type thing. So he, he was keen for Michael Carrick to stay on. Now, what I would allude to you is Michael Carrick, obviously, in his sort of post-match press conference or post-match interview, announced that it's resigning. And my first re- initial reaction was almost like Solskjaer. It, it wasn't sacked. It was mutual consent. Obviously, he was sacked. Now, with this, I thought Michael Carrick was told by Ralph Rangnick that, okay, you're not going to be part of my management team. I'm going to bring someone else in, take your compensation and sort of mutual consent. However, it does look like a serious sort of resigning and Carrick has gone, said, well, look, I was part of Solskjaer's team. I'm going to go with Solskjaer. And look, at the end of the day, you do look at Michael Carrick. He signed for United in 2006, the August in 2006. He's been nonstop since then. So as soon as he stopped playing, he came into the, into the management team and has been coaching ever since. So he needs a break. Uh, I think fair play. But my main thing, or my, my main concern when the news broke well, 20 minutes after full time was when I saw it, I thought, okay, yeah, no, that's standard. I, I kind of expected that. But it was huge news. Everyone was shocked. I thought, well, that's pretty standard. Now, the way it has come out that it was a resignation, not a sort of sackings type thing, maybe a little yeah. bit by surprise. But um, just your thoughts on the general news. Uh, obviously, we talked about the abuse Michael Carrick was getting, which we don't condone. But just in regards to his time at United now, because he does go down. A lot of people call him a club legend. Whether I have, look, I absolutely love Michael Carrick. Whether I have him in that, in that bracket, I'm not quite sure. But just your sort of general thoughts on Carrick at the moment. Well, you know my thoughts of him as a footballer. I know everyone loves Paul Scholes. Michael Carrick epitomizes for me, like, 
look, Paul Scholes is an elite player. You hold him in his own bracket. But Michael Carrick is epitomizes the perfect midfielder. If I look at modern football, there are so many teams who would benefit from a Michael Carrick. And if you look around, the closest player I can think of to that even resembles Michael Carrick or has the potential to resemble him is probably Frankie de Jong at Barcelona. Just what he does with the ball. Defensively, I don't think he's quite up to Carrick. If I look at off the ball, I think indeed he does similar work to what Michael Carrick does. But with the ball, doesn't offer anything close to what Carrick was able to produce. So he was really such a unique footballer and probably a player who didn't get as much credit as he deserved because he played in a in the same period as the likes of Xavi, Iniesta, uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger, the list goes on and on. He played in a period where midfielders were just, there was an influx of them. But he should go down as one of United's greatest midfielders. Can we also remember, bloody hell, this was the bloke who got dog's abuse for taking the number 16 from Roy Keane. He then goes on to win every single trophy for Manchester United. And he was the signing that goes on to be the catalyst for Manchester United's most successful ever period. In terms well, it's of interesting. You, you talk about 16 and Roy Keane and look, my favourite ever player, Roy Keane. And I absolutely love the guy and love what he does in terms of his punditry and everything. However, you do sense a little bit of bitterness to, from Roy Keane towards Michael Carrick, both at the end of Carrick's playing days, but also the last couple of weeks as a manager type thing. And it's fascinating. Take nothing away from Roy Keane greatest midfielder I've seen at Man United or the greatest captain, etc. We went three years without winning a title with Roy Keane in midfield. Suddenly Roy Keane comes in with a number 16, uh, sorry, Michael Carrick comes in to replace him with a 16 shirt. We go on to have Man United's most successful ever period. So, and look, obviously Ronaldo, Rooney, Tevez, Stralix Ferguson, Vidic, Ferdinand all played obviously a crucial part in that. But there was a key in the middle and that was Michael Carrick. I, I think his sort of career and his influence on such a successful period can't be understated. I thought absolutely fantastic. Ultimately, he's gained wonderful experience over the years now coaching, obviously, Jose Mourinho, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and obviously, he's tasted management now, so that'll stand him in good stead for when he wants to return to football. But as I say, he's been at Old Trafford in Carrington every day since 2006. It's 2021. Um, he deserves a break. Fair play to him. And he spoke about in his post-match interview about sort of doing some away days. So fantastic. Nothing but respect for Michael Carrick. The dog's abuse he got in the last two weeks I thought was shocking. Sadly, not surprising um, given our fan base, but yeah, fair play to Michael Carrick. Absolutely love the guy. Um, yeah, fantastic. But we'll move on. Obviously, a new boss in charge, Larry. We'll finish the podcast. I said there's 160 guys in the chat now, so make sure you do leave a like on the video. That would be great. And if you're not subscribed, please do. Um, Tom, I tell are... you what, sorry to cut you off. We're, we're on 285 subs. If we hit 300 during this video, can I get you to say, give us your best Cristiano Ronaldo Sue impression? Because if, if, we get if you follow this video, if you follow our, our podcast, Tom is more quiet, more reserved as a bloke. Very, very funny guy, dry humor, but he's not one who's like ob obnoxiously loud. But if we hit 300 subs live, Chris. You know what, Tom? I want you to stand up. I want you to do the jump. I want you to do the lot. If we hit 300. <laughs> I'll knock over all the shirts. I'll knock over Giggs. Maybe Giggs' shirt will come off. You see the hairy chest. But um, We just got five. We're, we're 10 away from hitting 300. So you're 10 away from seeing Tom do do his best Sue impression. So get in there. Subscribe. Sorry, come Tom. Up. Please continue. Calm down, everyone in the chat. Calm down. But on that, what was I talking about, Ralph? Um, you sort of throwing me thought there um, in terms of Ralph. What was I talking about? Um, press conference. What was I talking about? You've thrown well, me, Larry. We've, we've transitioned. We've 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 moved on from Michael Carrick. We're here for Ralph Rennick. 
take talk to us about what 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 do you think the biggest statement do you think he well, makes? We've got Crystal well, Palace. My Sunday, first thing, uh, as I said, anyone new to the podcast, usually when we record a podcast, we hang up the call, we say goodnight, then suddenly huge news breaks. That's the way we do it. However, we've been a little bit fortunate today that obviously he had his press conference um, before we went live, so we have a lot to discuss now. We'll try and keep it um, sort of short and sweet. Solskjaer's press conference usually about seven or eight minutes before the game. This one's gone half an hour. Um, it was fascinating view, and I urge everyone, if you haven't listened, go back and watch it. Um, I thought it was unbelievable, not unbelievable, but he spoke very knowledgeable, um, obviously very passionate, and um, I urge everyone to go back and watch it. And it just gives you that excitement. He, he speaks so um, intelligent and sort of he's honest. He, he's open. Solskjaer, sort of, he gets asked a question. This is not a criticism of Solskjaer. A lot of managers do this, but Solskjaer was given a question and Solskjaer just reverts back to management saying, Oh, we take it day by day. Um, I believe in my players, make sure everyone sort of does the right thing and we'll be ready. Hopefully we can get a win where Ralph Rangnick was breaking everything down and sort of giving reasons why this is happening and why that is happening and what he looks to do. So it was a, it was very intriguing and more of it because it is fresh. And the players, I think there was a buzz yesterday. Um, the, the, I don't think it was the new manager bounce in regards to getting rid of Oli. I think they all still deeply respect Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. But I think now they know they are on notice. So if they don't perform or if they don't show um, the attributes that a Ralph Rangnick side will have, well, their future is in doubt. So I think that is what that's the most exciting thing because let, let's say uh, Harry Maguire, um, if he performed badly under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, well, the evidence suggests that he's going to play the next week. If Harry Maguire starts stuttering on the ball with Ralph Rangnick in charge, well, yeah, you can very much captain's armband or not, you'd ha- assume that Maguire will be on the bench. And that is, you don't want to say, okay, it's exciting to see players on the bench. That kind of is the excitement. There's that freshness and sort of putting players on notice because why Solskjaer ultimately paid um, the price with his job, and rightly so. He deserved to be sacked at the end of the day. It's why I always alluded, I always went back to, well, the players are responsible. The players are the ones at fault, and the players need to take responsibility, and I think they were hiding far too often. Uh, but Rangnick will put it on the players, in my opinion. Yeah, he will. And and this is what the criticism of Ali's been. There's obviously, there's the tactical now, and I think we, we saw that. But what Ralph Rangnick will do is you'll definitely see a ruthless side. And I think that's what these players have lacked. I think we, we heard all the reports that Oli would, would you know, he'll, he'll give a lashing out in the dressing room. But I think when push came to shove, he didn't have that ruthlessness that, say, a Sir Alex Ferguson had or that a Mourinho has. Whether, look, Mourinho, you can argue whether he's too brash. But all the successful managers in modern history have a ruthless streak. They've got the ability to be best mates with a player, but also the ability to get rid of a player instantly. Sir Alex Ferguson and Roy Keane is one that really sticks out in your mind. A player who was the captain, the the heart of Manchester United's football side, 15 years, suddenly pulled out of the side and was managed out of the football club, essentially. Sir Alex Ferguson had decided Roy Keane had to go. And and that was the master... That's why Sir Alex was able to be successful for so long. And if you look at modern managers, you look at the likes of Jurgen Klopp, you look at the likes of Pep Guardiola, the reason they're successful, Tom, is they're ruthless. I remember watching the All or Nothing with Manchester City. It was either the All or Nothing or the the sit-down he did with Rio Ferdinand. I might be getting the two confused. But in one of them, he actually said... Every seat, he goes, you cannot win every single trophy and battle on every front with the exact same squad season after season. He goes, it's basically impossible. He goes, because once a player achieves something, there is no way they have the same motivation to do it back to back to back to back. He's like, I have that as a manager, but I don't get that from my players. And I think with Solskjaer, we just, it all just was too nice, wasn't it? There was just an element of everything steady. We're moving in the right direction. And I think, as much as I love Oli, and I do love Oli, 
but the criticism I had of him was he kept talking about the process, the progression, and I feel like it was almost an excuse for the players to almost bag their way out. Whereas I look at Ralph Renick, he's setting expectations from the get-go. His first press conference, he's talking about how we can't be conceding three goals as a coach. Mm. He's putting pressure on himself, but that tells you the confidence he has within himself to put these players on notice. He's saying, trust my system. I will, I will lift you up. But if you're not going to back me, if you're not going to come along with the ride, you will be pulled out. So I'm really excited by this one. I really am. We'll, we'll just we'll wrap up with a quick sort of look to Crystal Palace, who's obviously is a quick turnaround. But just a point there, you sort of jogged my memory of one of the quotes that really took out, sort of really stood out for me, was Ralph Rangit talking about, I forget if he's talking about his time in Germany or Austria, and they came to him and they said, sort of what did you learn? What was, when they came to you, what did they say was the biggest problem and what did you need to fix? And he sort of said, and you can very much sort of mirror this with Man United, he came along the lines and saying, well, Sal, I think Leipzig or Salzburg, I forget which one, he was saying, well, you're signing players on their last contract. You should be really signing players at the, their first contract or their second contract where that motivation is still high. And I think that's a very Manchester United thing. You do, and look, I love one matter, but signing one matter like in terms of, okay, could you give that to Hannibal or Anthony Alanga type thing? In terms of that'll be fascinating on how those renewals go. Jesse Lingard. In terms of should he be getting a new contract or or should we be getting the new Jesse Lingard? Not to say the new Jesse Lingard is something we should strive for, but that player at that stage of their career. So it's a fascinating thing in terms of his ambition and sort of fit for Manchester United. But we'll go on to Crystal Palace, Larry, just to quickly wrap up. It's obviously a few days away, so we'll, we'll, we won't do a preview tomorrow. It's obviously Saturday night and we've got a big game on Sunday to prepare for. Obviously, Man United fans in Sydney know, which I'll give it a plug at the end. But Crystal Palace, Ralph's first game in charge. I'm not going to give a team selection or a team prediction. No idea. This could be anything. This could be absolutely anything. One, from his point of view, in terms of what he wants, but also there's a quick turnaround. So there's going to be a sort of natural rotation anyway. So just can you give any type of inclination or prediction to what is what you're going to see on Sunday night? Cristiano Ronaldo will start. So I'm just going to make I'm just going to make quick predictions. Cristiano Ronaldo will start. I think that's first name on the team sheet, just to shut up any murmurs of, is there unrest? Is he looking to get Ronaldo out of the club? So I think that'll happen. I think also what you can guarantee is we are going to see a different Manchester United. We're going to see an energetic Manchester United, and they are going to push from the front. The other thing I will predict, Tom, over the next few weeks, I think we're going to see injuries because if I look at what Jurgen Klopp did with Liverpool when he came in trying to introduce a press, we saw that the players started dropping like flies. I think we got the squad for it, but I'm really concerned if the midfield starts getting thin, what do we then do? So it will be interesting. The, my final prediction, I think we're going to absolutely, we're going to make a statement. I think it's going to be a, maybe not a scoreboard, but I think it'll be a dominant win by United. And I think we'll, after that 90 minutes, we'll look back and say, you know what? This is a really good manager. United, uh, we're going to, we'll make sure it's a professional performance. I think we'll, 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 bin, we'll win by at least two goals. Yeah, well, my one prediction, well, George doesn't share your confidence. George, you're on the bench on Sunday. It would be such a United thing to drop points or even lose to Palace. Palace at home scares me. That worries me always. It seems like a bogey team. But we pretty much seem to say every team's a bogey team for Man United at the moment. Three more subs, three more to 300. Do you want to see <laughs> all, Tom do this or what? We're, Come we're on, we're three more on the podcast soon. But um, I was saying there, in regards to my one prediction, and who knows how this is going to go. For me, Donny van der Beek starts over who? I don't know in terms of how that midfield shapes up. Could be for anyone, could be for Bruno, could be for McTominay. Who knows, Fred? It, it could be anything. But I think Donny van der Beek starts. 
But on that, we'll sort of wrap up. We just alluded to George as our supporters club goalkeeper. There's a lot of people in the chat, which is fantastic. If you are in Sydney or you don't have to, you can donate anyway. Larry and I and a few members of the podcast and the Man United Supporters Club here are playing against the Watford Supporters Club, taking revenge for their defeat of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and United a few weeks ago. We're raising money for the food bank here in Sydney and Canberra. And um, so we're donning the boots, um, playing, doing our best to sort of get out of bed and play on Sunday. Hopefully it's not too hot. But um, Larry, how's the shape going? You're cutting weight yet? I am 1.5 kilos down. I'm still round. But if you are watching us today and you do watch us in a month's time, I should take up about half of what I'm currently taking up in this square. So just bear with me uh, and I'll get there. But if you are in Sydney, feel free to come down. It's at Five Sports Karen Bar. There is a link in the description below where you can um, donate. It will be fantastic if you could do that. But if you are in Sydney, also you can um, come along and watch. It's obviously 2 p.m. kickoff. And it's always fascinating. You know, there's always tackles, there's cards, there's defending is optionable, optional. So there's goals, there's drama. Larry will be playing, doing his best in Luke Shaw impression, I assume. Oh yeah, I'll be I'll be looking for donuts and burgers after the game. You can guarantee that. No, fantastic. But as I said, really enjoyed this episode. Good to sort of talk three points. Obviously beating Arsenal, which we didn't spend enough time on sort of bantering Arsenal. Fantastic. It's been a while. Solskjaer obviously never beat them. He beat all the other big boys. Not that we put Arsenal in that category, but. It's been a while since we have beaten them, so we do have to enjoy it. Obviously, there is a new era in regards to welcoming Ralph Rangi. As I said, I urge everyone to go back and watch his press conference. Um, I thought it was refreshing. Not to criticise Solskjaer for his press conferences. I just think it was refreshing. Um, so, Larry, a couple of days out um, to our big game. Well, two big games on the Sunday. Obviously, 2 p.m. kickoff for us, but then I think it's probably 2 a.m. kickoff against Crystal Palace on Monday morning. So, um, until then, hopefully everyone in the chat and any new viewers um, enjoy the content. Please subscribe if you are new. Um, please leave a like. That would be great. Um, if you are watching on delay, leave your three, two, ones in the comments below. That would be fantastic. And um, Larry, I'll see you Sunday. Make sure you're not late or I'll be putting you on the bench. We're on 299, Tom. Um, look, I want to give it another 30 seconds. I just want to see if we can get one more sub so I can watch you do your Cristiano Ronaldo Sue impression. So I'll, gonna... I'll just go, I'll, I'll rock through some comments here. Um, George, in terms of... I didn't get too much out of Arsenal Fan TV today. I thought they were a little bit disappointing. But um, I think maybe that's just the... You almost feel a little bit sorry for Arsenal fans at the moment. But, um, yeah, Sam, Sam... Well, I was at, at the pub today, obviously, with Sam in the morning. Um, really good to see him this morning and watch United play. Um, yeah, talking about Arsenal Fan TV and the, the comedy that they do bring. But um, Alex here predicting Lingard and Donny van der Beek to play. But Lingard's a... Sh- that's how the Lingard situation will unfold. I have no idea. But, um, Tom, we've I mean, hit 300. 300. So, uh, Is that close? Oh, that was, that was, oh, I think I just died a little bit. You, you, you oh. go. You got you to gotta, you gotta puff the. Well, I, well, I didn't prepare. I just fucking threw it the out. Ch- the chest has to come out, man. You said it like a grandma. Like you just go, Soo! like, you know, you got you to expand. Yeah, the well, I don't stand in front of the mirror. And, come on. I don't stand in front of the mirror and practice like you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But until then, um, hopefully everyone did enjoy it. Make sure you do leave a like. That would be fantastic. And, um, yeah, chat to you Sunday or Monday for the podcast. Um, obviously reviewing the Crystal Palace match. Can't wait for that three points. Cheers. Cheers.